1: Welcome into this special edition of BGN brought to you by the Five Forket SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host Michael Kist and today I have a special guest to talk about the social unrest surrounding the topic of police brutality and racial inequality and how the nfl has responded to all of it that guest is michael sean dugar of the athletic seattle you can follow him on twitter at mike dugar that's d-u-g-a-r i followed him for a while he does fantastic work and i really enjoyed our conversation about this topic and look if you want your football separate from these issues then this show is not for you. But I do encourage you to just listen to what the man has to say about it. And you can make your own judgments from there. And hopefully you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is our Juneteenth edition of BGN. He writes for the Athletic Seattle. He's the co-host of the Seahawks two man podcast. He is Michael Sean Dugar. Michael, how you doing, brother?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. And let's just jump right into this thing. The issue that we're tackling today is the social unrest stemming from police brutality against black people, notably the murder of uh, George Floyd that kind of kicked this whole thing off, and how it has impacted the NFL and how they're responding to it. The last time that this was a major focus a few years back, a lot of bad faith arguments kind of hijacked the message. This time around, it feels much different. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but NFL players have seemed to have found their voice and how they're raising awareness about this, the rebuttals that they have for it, how they're showing unity. The message from BLM is stronger to the point where it's been more difficult for that message to get hijacked. And therefore, it's been harder for everyday people and the NFL to simply brush this aside, kind of like they did last time. Michael, what do you think has has changed from then to now? Because there's been, in my opinion anyway, a significant shift regarding how the message is being received at large.
2: You know, I think there's a lot of factors, and I think it it really depends on the person. You know, like this is – I didn't expect to be talking about Randy Orton today, but like he (laughs) put out something, I want to say Monday. The gist of it was, you know, I get it now. I get what Colin – was talking about. And it's a it's a weird space to be in, right? Because police brutality didn't start when Colin Kaepernick talked about it in 2016. It's been around for quite literally hundreds of years and I mean disproportionately impacting black people even when Colin brought it up, right? That's 2016, August 2016. Like think of the things that had already happened, you know, at that point. I mean like national topics like Michael Brown Trayvon Martin. I know George yeah. Zimmerman wasn't a police officer, but I believe Eric Garner had already happened.
1: Yeah, and then with, with that, it's like the judicial system, too, that's tied in with it as well, because Zimmerman you know, obviously got off because of the rules, that are, the laws that were in place in Florida.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's the, the stand your ground thing. It's just, there it's is. unreal. But you look at these, you look at what Colin said in August 2016, he was like, someone asked, hey, what do you want to see change?" He was like, there's a lot of things. One of them, police brutality. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. You know, he said the flag is supposed to represent like liberty and justice for all, and that's not happening. You know, he was very clear. The clarity was like admirable there. Like with all the civil rights like activists, like the prominent ones, uh, whether you're talking about a Martin Luther King or you know even like a Megger Evers or, or, or Malcolm X uh, or Huey Newton or whoever, right? Yeah. One quality they have is clarity. You know exactly what they want and how they feel is the best way to get there. And maybe Colin didn't get a chance to outline the best way to get there, but he definitely acknowledged what it was. All right, so I think the people who are like the Randy Orton's of the world, I just don't know what you were missing before, you know, so I necessarily can't applaud you for getting it now. It's just like, all right, whatever, better live than never hop on a boat. Um, But I think the pandemic at large is affecting people. Uh It's just you have no choice but to sit here and look at all the viral videos. Uh, and then you have just what is, I don't want to the wording of this is is poor but you guys will get what i'm saying the perfect victim mm-hmm. you know like it's very clear that george floyd did nothing wrong but be black like that was it that was the weapon he had on his uh, on his possession at the time he was killed and it's very clear it's like indisputable not to say that some of these others weren't, but you know what I mean? There's just, even if you wanted to like pick and poke at like Black Lives Matter and swear that all this, all these good cops and there's just a few bad apples, it's just like, look, this George Floyd thing, you watched a man take his last breath after calling for his mom. It's like to, to not have empathy there. I think a lot of people feel guilty, embarrassed, and ashamed if they do not feel something when watching that. And I don't necessarily think that was the same with someone like Walter Scott. Uh, he was shot in the back by, by a, a police officer a few years back, or even like Alton Sterling or, you know, Fernando Castile. I think yeah. all of these, you feel something, but I don't think people feel like guilty if they do not. But if you've seen it and you didn't feel anything, you have to look inside your yeah. own soul and be like, what's wrong with me? You know, and if there is nothing wrong with me, like how can I help? Yeah. So I think the combination of the pandemic and just the graphic nature of the video and the perfect victim, and there being three other cops there, bad apples is a part of the, of the argument for a lot of people. It's like, oh, I know good cops. It's not all cops are bad. Well, shoot, there was three of them right there. And if they're considered themselves good, they didn't do a good thing at all. They watched the bad guy kill a man. And so where where are the good cops? Right? So I think there was just so many factors that like hit all at once subconsciously for a lot of people. And then it just, boom, you got people burning down targets and stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree, especially with the the way that that video of of Floyd was unassailable just from an argumentative standpoint. There's all these different ways that people can kind of dismiss these things. With that one, it was so much... Harder, And it just happens over and over and over again. And all these Twitter videos, the, the threads of, you know, up to 500 different examples of police brutality during these protests. And and one of the pieces from you about Seattle linebacker Bobby Wagner that I wanted to highlight here, and what will kind of transition the discussion this way, what he was saying was there needs to be more allies. And he had some advice on how to become one. What was his message to the media when he spoke to them a couple weeks ago?
2: Bobby is very aware of narrative control. He's just a smart guy. You know, Richard Sherman cut from the same cloth, Russell Okung. They understand the role that the media plays in shaping a narrative. A narrative does not always mean truth. And they understand that as well. So Bobby has seen, he's like, look, if you guys are media members and you know that what Kaepernick is saying is about stopping police brutality you know is it, about police killing black people with impunity like boom there's your thesis if you know that anything else you spend extensive time reporting on is you're you're complicit in you know narrative distortion or narrative construction right and he's right and i think i love that he said it because then it allows me to like take the baton and take it to the next step because i know where the training for the journalist comes from i went to washington state like the edward r morrow school of communication great School, like I get what everyone is taught in journalism. If they're if I use this example a lot, we're taught that if you go to a rally and there's Black Lives Matter people on one side of the street and, and Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter people on one side, you're taught to interview everyone, just write what they're feeling, why they're there, what they want, and then just send it into your editor so it can get filed. Right? That's like that's what you're taught. And as I've kind gotten older, I. I understand that we have more of an obligation to that if to to decide what is right and wrong, and that may sound crazy to some people. But think of what all lives matter and like blue lives matter, right? In that example, those things are birthed in opposition to Black people asking to matter. There's not a there's this is not like a both sides issue. If one one people if a certain set of people ask to matter your uh your response to that is damn all that then there's no both sides one side is right because they're asking for humanity and the other side is wrong because they don't want to grant and they have the power to make sure to, to act on not granting it like so why then do you have to both sides as a journalist there like that's not objectivity that's like ignorance okay. you know and it's 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 part of that is unlearning a lot of this stuff we're taught right we're taught you know oh if you go out into the field and these protests and they're burning target they're gonna teach you to put your camera on target like that's you're supposed to sensationalize in a burning building in that, in that way. But what Bobby was getting at is like, you guys know it's not about that. You guys know we're not protesting Target. You know that those people who are burning it are angry. And unless you're willing to talk about what is making them so angry to burn a building and to commit arson in public, unless you're willing to do that, you're just showing like, oh, look at these guys. They're still in Nordstrom. You know, unless you're willing to go deeper into that and not just stick your camera on it during your standup for the local you know, CBS affiliate, then you're complicit, right? Because you can't yeah. make it seem like there was just riots and then a protest in the background. That's not how it goes. And we have that power. I have been explaining this to my journalism friends for, like, it feels like the past month because it really is unlearning behavior. But, you know, for those people who also, like, cover sports, it's not that complicated. You know, like, I tell people, let's say I go to a game. And I uh, go to a Seahawks game, cover it, right? Russell Wilson has a press conference. Pete Carroll has a press conference. You know, Russ threw five picks. And, you know, the defense had a bunch of touchdowns, right? So in my story, I only have quotes from Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Shaquille Griffin. And I leave out everything from Pete. And I don't even mention that, um, you know, Russ threw the picks. I don't ask any of the receivers or nothing like that. right? I'm deciding that the audience, I'm deciding what the audience needs to see or needs to hear. I'm deciding you don't need to hear from Russ. The pixie through are important. I may mention that they happen, but I don't dive into it. I don't mention Pete Carroll's call at the goal line, or whatever. I have shaped the the the, the narrative there on why they lost the game or won the game, or whatever. Right? I'm consciously deciding you don't need this information. Right? You don't need at least, or at the very least, you don't need it in depth. Right? That's we do that all the time. Like obviously, that's a game and not like life or death, but the same principle applies in my mind. It's not necessarily of both sides. You got to be. Right down the middle, show all this. Like, man, one side is asking to matter. Anyone on the other side of that, I don't feel the need to amplify their voice. Now I know that may, maybe my journalism ethics teacher would be pissed hearing that, but like, she was also a white lady, so like, <laughs> maybe she just don't don't get it. You know, that's that's kind of what Bobby was getting at. He doesn't, he couldn't like explain it the way I can because I'm a journalist, but I, that's that's what he was
1: talking about. I agree. And they, and they have gotten better at, at kind of counteracting that that rebuttal to that. And, and Doug Baldwin followed up this uh, with a Twitter thread of his own where he said, uh, quote, make a decision to act. Don't be complacent and complicit, un, uh, end quote. And he specifically mentions empathy and the same word that Russell Wilson used. And, and this is why the educational part is so important. You can't have empathy without – education without some kind of understanding and Michael I'm a I'm a white dude in America that's never experienced racial profiling unless I was motivated and open to do so and luckily I was at a young age you know reading about covert and illegal FBI oper- operations like COINTELPRO Pro and Black Panthers like Fred Hampton and how things were set up for black people unless I was open to understanding the way that it worked for black people in America in the past and in the present, how could I possibly know what they're experiencing? So is that general lack of understanding, that lack of willingness to be open to those uncomfortable conversations and just listen and empathize like the first big barrier for potential allies to cross?
2: Yeah, it, it definitely is. And Doug's been preaching empathy for, for a while now. And I think that is a big aspect of it because I think Doug understands. Doug grew, I, I don't know the demographics of where he grew up in, in Florida, but I know he's been around. I grew up in Florida Went to California for college, Palo Alto um, at that, and then, you know, has now settled in like Seattle. Um So he's been around a little bit and he understands, I would imagine, that people, you don't just grow up with this knowledge, right? Like you mentioned, like if unless you dig into this, like voluntarily, it's not just handed to you. I've been mm. done, doing like my own little experiment with a lot of my, my white friends, like asking them basic things like, hey, how was such and such taught to you? You know, how was the civil rights movement? You know, taught to you how is the end of slavery taught to you how is the mm. civil war taught to you you know like how is how is Malcolm X explaining to you you know like what what's going on here because that's where it starts right like these kids you don't just uh be born bigoted right or thinking like you're, su- you're superior or, or things like that you you grow up and you're taught this way of the world and then you get you get around enough black people to be like no 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 man when, when I get pulled over, I am afraid for my life. And you're like, what do you mean, dude? You didn't do anything wrong. It's like, dude, that's that's not the point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's and that's hard. And I understand that as well. You know, I used to work in northern Idaho. I covered the Idaho Vandals for a few years, right? So being in, you know, Moscow, Idaho, I, and covering, like, high school sports there, I understood, you know, talking to those kids, like, they're essentially in a bubble, right? Like, they're, they're taught, like, Columbus discovered America, and Lincoln freed the slaves, and civil rights ended just because Martin Martin Luther King peacefully asked for it, and white people just relented after he was assassinated. You know what I mean? Like these are this is the whitewashing of history, and that, that's just legitimately what you're taught. It shapes your worldview. So you get older, and you see someone like Colin Kaepernick go, "Oh, you know, this this is not a free country." And then that's how you get to the response of, "Well, shoot, man, the president's black," which is ignorant, right? Because the color of the president doesn't dictate um, whether or not racism exists in the country. If so. And that means, I mean, look what happened after Obama. Right. So uh that's that's how people get there. And that's why Doug's preaching is just just listen. Cause if you're willing to listen and learn, you can become a true ally. Like that's that's a huge step. You know, I'm a big movie reference guy. I I like to reference the scene from Remember the Titans. Um Sunshine and Petey are I think they just won a game and they're trying to go into some place to eat. And Sunshine is like, Come on, let's go. And Petey's like, nah, man. We can't we can't go in there. And Sunshine's like, nah, man, it's cool, it's cool. He's like, All right, man, He goes in. Um, and then the dude, he looks at you know, the, the owner of the restaurant, he looks in there and he's like, Yo, you know, you guys can't you guys can't all eat in here. Like, you guys gotta go, we're full. He's like, dude, I see like twelve open tables you talk about. Um the owner says, Look, look, California, you can sit you can eat in here, but your homies, they gotta go out back. Right. And then obviously they leave and Petey's embarrassed and he's upset. And Sunshine looks at Petey to apologize and He's like, I'm sorry, Petey, I didn't know. And Petey gets mad. And he's like, dude, you didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of what Doug is saying now. You gotta want to be educated. Sunshine was not, even if he meant well. That's why I love that scene, because Sunshine meant well. He's going to eat with his teammates. But he wasn't willing to listen to what Petey was saying. He didn't wanna know why Petey couldn't go and then sit in It wasn't just Petey, but you know what I mean. Uh you, he he wanted he didn't want to know why. And that was the that was the issue. You know, we need Doug, like Doug is saying, we need people to want, to learn, to absorb, to like be allies. And that does start with like understanding the plight, understanding the issue from our point of view.
1: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. There's so much misinformation out there regarding that entire fiasco between Kaepernick and the League. Where did the League and the public get it wrong with Kaepernick the first time to where now they're trying to, like, correct some of that?
2: Oh, perfect. They didn't want to listen. Like, that's what we were talking about. They didn't didn't want to listen. Kaepernick said, hey, you know, I'm going to use this time to advocate for the lives of black people. Gather around. Here's what I'm talking about. And the League was like, get out. That was that was that was basically it, you know. Whether whether it was one owner told other owners or Goodell sent out a memo, which I doubt he did, um, you know. Whether the owners like are just so inherently, you know, biased and racist that they didn't even want to deal with it, right? He based, that's that's basically what he asked for, you know. I, I encourage people to go listen to his first press conference. Uh, it's like August twenty eighth. I want to say twenty sixteen. He he breaks it down. It's like eighteen minutes, I think, and he answers everybody's questions. And he's very clear. And people, the, the NFL, the owners, we got to separate the NFL here. Uh, the NFL, like Goodell's part of the NFL and his office yeah. is. But the owners are who Goodell works for. And they are, quote, the NFL as well. So they just didn't want to listen. They told Colin Kaepernick, we don't really care what you have to say if you're going to kneel and kind of dis- disturb the peace in order to get us to listen. You know, it's Martin Luther King talked a lot about people who disagree with the method, but agree with the message. It's like, no, dude, you got to understand why I'm getting to that method. You know, Colin Cameron didn't just wake up one day and just say, "Uh, you know, I need to I need to protest. No, I got to a point where he's looked around and saw our voices are not heard when we do this comfortably. We need to make you uncomfortable and demand that you listen, be clear in our message and then take steps to fix it. He did. He did the first couple steps, and then no one wanted to. The the league didn't want to listen. The Seahawks are included in that. Man, they ain't want to listen? They canceled his workout in twenty eighteen. You know, yeah. Pete Carroll says you know it was because they uh, asked about his plan, quote unquote, for like you know where his headspace was, whether he was willing to be a backup. It's like, dude, a he interviewed with you a year ago uh, with Russell as the quarterback. You know, Russell led the league in touchdown passes the next season. And then he's willing to come work out again. Like Colin's not stupid, you know. He, you know, <laughs> when you, you come interview for a quarterback job in Seattle right now, you are the backup. And Colin is not—he's not dumb. He knows that, yeah. right? He wants a job. He wants to take one. He knows guys get hurt, you know. Like that's—you know—it's easy. It's easier to uh, you're one step closer to playing in any capacity when someone signs you, <laughs> right? That's just the yep. the basics of it. So the Seahawks were were part of that. That's why Pete Carroll you know kind of tried to walk everything back uh unfortunately he uses poor wording pete Carroll's bad at that you know he for instance pete said you know i regret it you know we i feel like we missed an opportunity back then it's like pete you're still vice president of football ops right you can (laughs) you can just sign him now dude you signed 17 undrafted free agents cut one of them yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) you bring colin in done always compete oh and every team is like that baltimore miami um All the teams who had big quarterback issues over the last few years, you know, Jacksonville was probably Colin Kaepernick away from making the Super Bowl, you know, instead of riding out Blake Bortles for another year. Like the Bears in 2018, it's like if you swapped Kaepernick for Mitch Trubisky with that defense, maybe you you, would have had something. Instead, you traded for Nick Foles and you're screwed now. I think they just didn't want to listen in 2016 and 2017, too. Michael Bennett was protesting in 2017 and no one was trying to hear it. Even when mm-hmm. he became a victim of police brutality himself in Vegas uh, in August of 2017, people still didn't want to listen. And now um, the NFL, in terms of Goodell, is claiming to want to listen. But if you notice, a lot of owners still aren't saying much.
1: You know, Jed York has. There's really not a lot that mention police brutality, you know, racial inequality specifically when they do these little statements.
2: Oh, yeah. No, the statements are all bad. Their lips, their lip service. And their, think about the statement. It's tiding behind like the team Twitter account or whatever. I mean, this is not, you're not, the 49ers don't exist, right? (laughs) For what it's worth, Jed York put his out on his own account, I believe. But, um, the Falcons don't exist, right? The Packers don't exist. There's not like a real person called the Packers. Do you, um, whoever's in charge over there, I know that they're owned, they're like publicly owned or whatever, but if you have an owner, put your name on it. If you're Arthur Blank or the seven owners who, you know, contributed to Trump's like, Campaign, his inauguration, Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones. I want to, Jody Allen of the Seahawks, I want to hear from you specifically. This is a human rights issue. You're a human being. Speak on how you feel. Don't put out some statement that you probably didn't write, uh, you know, behind your team account and just let that rock. No, make yourself available. If your mind has changed, make that clear. And what has changed your mind? I think that's been missing.
1: I I agree. Do you think they're sincere? The people that have spoken out regarding, like, let's go to like Roger Goodell. We'll dial in on him. Do you think he's sin- sincere in what he's saying now in regards to police brutality and supporting their black players when they were so far on the other side of the spectrum last time around?
2: I think Goodell has probably always wanted Kaepernick to be in the league. I don't necessarily think he was actively participating to uh, blackball him necessarily. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't he doesn't have hiring power. You know, in that way, like he works for the owners, not the other way around right i do I do think he's probably tried to mean well the whole time. I think he was afraid of pissing off his racist bosses. Yeah. I think that's and, and that's Trump that. and <laughs> yeah, you know, and the president and his bar. I mean, look at the you can't you can't be in the position that these white billionaires are and supporting Trump, and for me to not think. That you're just going to be against everything Colin Kaepernick has to stand for. I'm just going to assume right. that's the case. Like you're putting your money where your mouth is more than anything else. So I mean, if, if Goodell, I get the sense, just didn't want to rock the boat with those guys Um, and was able to like hide behind it because he had enough people supporting it. But now he gets to the point where it's like, look, man, these the players here are just so hurt, they are so angry that I'm going to have to publicly ruffle some some feathers, and that's mostly with the owners themselves. Hmm. Uh, now, does that really mean anything? No man, they're not, the owners aren't gonna fire Roger Goodell. He makes them too much money. But I, I I think he's always probably wanted Colin Kaepernick in the league. Well, honestly, just didn't care. It's like, oh, someone signs him, they do. If they don't, they don't. Like that probably is how he felt for a little bit, you know, in the name of not pissing off the people who are, you know, employing him for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard for anyone to buy Black Lives Matter on Goodell's part because it's not anything anything new that has happened you know you asked me the first question was what's changed you know, everything you can apply to for the most part george floyd's video you can apply to air gardeners with the exception of the pandemic as the like the backdrop other right. than that the circumstances are very similar it's a viral video of multiple police choking the dude who like says he can't breathe and he doesn't call for his mom but i mean that's that's a minor detail like it's very you watch that dude die on the street he didn't do anything like worth getting. maybe he was selling like cigarettes and you know shouldn't have right that doesn't mean get choked out by multiple cops right so even i look at that example right there and it's just like if you're singing a different tune now unless you explain why then it just it just feels hollow and that's not good just Goodell. that's drew Brees. that's randy orton that's whoever else has come around now and not explained
1: why Now that the NFL has accepted, at least at the surface, how NFL players choose to protest police brutality and racial inequality, where do you see this going? Essentially, I guess the question is, what's the next step to keep the momentum of this movement going while they have it?
2: Well, in terms of how players are going to protest, a protest has to be defiant in some way. There has to be some level of disobedience associated with it. And now that Goodell has kind of like okayed the action of kneeling, or just protesting in general, like that gets, we're getting into a tricky space. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, then kneeling might become what like throwing up your fist during the anthem has become right. It was a very, that was a very different gesture in 1968. It's not so much a controversial gesture in 2020 or maybe even in 2018 or whatever. Mm -hmm. If kneeling, you know, was controversial in 2016, but it's like generally accepted across the league in 2020, then you're not really protesting you know, anymore. And that's that's important here because we still have people who need to be allies. And when I say people, I really do mean the owners. The owners are some of the most powerful people in their respective states. You know, like how many people can you name in Texas more powerful than Jerry Jones? <laughs> right. Right? If he's on board, that gets a lot of people on board right? or it just pisses enough people off you know, that are that are Jerry's fans. Like, OK, cool. We'll get them out of here. But if you know how how many people over there in Massachusetts are more power, more powerful than than Bob Kraft, right? Like, there's when we get those guys on board, right, as allies, like that's when we really will get some. Like, I feel like a true like seismic shift here because that's the people who like they know prosecutors in their local, you know, states or cities. They know DAs and they and they know politicians. Like they they got power over there. Their voice matters. What Robert Kraft says. When the mic is hot is far more important than some like vague statement on the Patriots Twitter account. You know, I think that's that's the next step here. And owners are owners are good at this. They don't make themselves available as much as head coaches. So we put the pressure on head coaches. No, it's not just the head coaches. We need to put the pressure on the owners. You guys are the white billionaires who some of you even supported the president, uh, who's empowering a lot of the people that's uh, still countering Black Lives Matter. Like it's the next step is them. It's getting them to be all in, you know, on this. Cause essentially then they become recruiters at that point. Like if Jerry yeah. Jones is on board and you didn't and you're and you're far right and you've been rocking with Jerry Jones since you were a baby, if you can if you can't see why Jerry Jones gets on board, then you're tripping. You know, like he's gonna they're they're gonna sway a lot of people with their with their power and not just their like, you know, position, but like political power too in their respective cities and areas. That's that's gonna matter a lot once we can get that.
1: Weaponize their influence is basically what you're saying, and I, I yep. agree. That's a, that's a that's a great next step. Um, and, and I want to I want to pound this part home before we run out of time. In, in terms of what I can do, what others can do beyond posting some black square on Instagram or Twitter, uh, how can people help a, and make a difference? What would you suggest? Uh, I think it's
2: it's it's the same thing as the owners. It's, you know, it's like weaponizing your privilege. You know, if if you're white, understand that white people will listen to you. White people do not like inherently like care about the voices of black people. If they did, we wouldn't be in this predicament. <laughs> I can guarantee you that it would have been no slavery if white people listened to black people. That's just a fact. <laughs> we were not cool with that. You know, we, we didn't like it. We voiced that we did not, and we were unheard. You know, this is the same thing in every movement. You know, whether it's the Jim Crow era, is civil rights, the war on drugs, mass incarceration. We've always been saying, "Hey man, stop, chill out." And white people don't listen. So they listen to you guys. So you need to go vote. You need to go be out here in in the streets demanding the same things that we are, defunding the the police, redirecting those funds to social work, healthcare, education. Like those are the things, you know, that we're advocating for. And you gotta advocate for them as well. Don't just hit up your black friends and tell them that you're riding for them and you're an ally. I mean, that's fine. That's step one. Step two is to tell your white friends that too. You know, call out the bigotry you see on your Facebook wall or you hear your brother saying in the next room or you're you're having a conversation with your parents and they say, look at those rioters, man. They're just – why are they out there? Man, explain to them. Explain to your 50-, 60-year-old parent or grandparent why how their thinking is wrong, you know? Anybody who can vote, you should be willing to go to bat with (laughs) because that that matters. And those conversations are going to suck. They're going to be uncomfortable. I have a homegirl who just had to basically flame her father on Facebook. Because he said some wild stuff, you know, but that's, that's the change we need, right? You gotta make it clear that you're, it, it's not okay to just be non-racist, right? That's the white moderate that Martin Luther King lamented. We need everyone to be anti-racist. That means actively against the system of oppression. Once you get to that point, you're an ally. If you're just non-racist, you're like, oh, ah, no, man, I don't, I don't participate in no racist stuff. Okay, cool, that's fine. Here's your participation trophy for that. We need you to take the next step and be anti racism. And once you do that, then you're really helping. And I think that's just mostly by spreading the word and then using the privilege that you have as a white person, because people will listen to you if you speak.
1: Michael, I appreciate the time, man. I really enjoyed the the, the uh, discussion. I wish you the best of luck with everything that you do. Thank you for joining us here at BGN. Before we go, plug anything you want to plug, man. Go wild.
2: I want to just shout out my Seahawks Man to Man podcast and my co-host Christopher Kidd. Uh, we have a new episode up, Right now, with uh, the homie Doug Farrar over at USA Today, um, we have our my favorite episode that we've ever done. is called "Legalized Blackness."
1: I listen to that one. That one's really good.
2: Yeah, that's one of my probably favorite ones we've we've ever done. And I think you know what me and Chris decided to do was like go through some of those bad faith arguments that you know, a white ally is going to experience. You know, I'll just touch on a few of them real quick. You know, you're going to hear people say, "Well, what about black on black crime?" You're going to see them say, "Well, hey, the police kill white people too." They're going to say, "Well, all lives matter." There's a fourth one that I can't remember. Oh, oh, I don't see color. You're going to hear that yeah. a lot of the time. We go through, if you're wondering, like, oh, wait, Mike, those are bad? Okay. Listen to our legalized blackness episode. You will see. We give you a blueprint for combating all of those and why all of those are rooted in ignorance. All right. That's, that's really, we, it was like our white ally blueprint episode, but that didn't have the same <laughs> ring to it as legalized blackness. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's, that's really what I can encourage. That's more important than anything I'm probably going to write or tweet in the next like few months that episode right there so go check that out it's on itunes spotify it's on the athletic as well if you're already a subscriber um it's basically everywhere man trust
1: me it is a must listen thanks again michael appreciate it man p g n